Hello and welcome to another edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast. Jay Wilmington here, joined by Julian Bravo, following up on the new year. Happy New Year, Julian. Happy New Year to you as well. We were just talking a few days ago following uh, the Christmas holiday when Chelsea had a nice performance and a 2-0 victory over Bournemouth. And here we are getting back together just a few days later. And Julian, it's sad to say, not quite as positive a conversation, I imagine, that we'll have today after what I thought was one of Chelsea's uh, poorer performances of the year. I think there's been quite a few to choose from, but definitely one of the standouts. And suddenly, after kind of easing the tension that we had going into the World World Cup with a, with a nice victory coming out, immediately... All the pressure comes right back on. Lots of angry people at Graham Potter, at at Chelsea at large. And so here we are again, Julian, right back into the roller coaster of emotions that that following Chelsea seems to be. And, uh, you know, what what were your feelings kind of going into this match today? Did you have some positivity? I mean, we see the same starting 11 that we had in the Bournemouth victory. Do you feel like we could get some kind of things going in the positive direction? Or, you know, I think you mentioned a little last time, maybe still not too confident. Well, that was the thing was I said at the end of last week's or the most recent match that we shouldn't necessarily buy into the performance, that it didn't necessarily show any signs of huge progression for the team. So I did have a little bit of optimism going into this match, though, because I liked what Potter did with the team with his inclusion of Sicario. So in this one as well, seeing a similar lineup because of our absence with Reese James. I had a little bit of positivity going into it. I said, maybe we can build some momentum. The players do seem pretty well rested and there's entirely a chance that we could start turning this around. Yeah, it was interesting for me. I think that, you know, Chelsea, again, just like they did with with Bournemouth, got off to a, you know, somewhat bright start, kind of jumped out, had a chance early on the front foot. I think important whenever you're going to a place like, you know, Forest, they haven't been great at home, but certainly a, a raucous environment and a team that I know, you know, Chelsea doesn't strike the fear into teams' hearts when they come to town like they have in, in, in years past, that's for sure. Um, I, for me, almost immediately, there were some major differences from the Bournemouth match as early as 10 minutes in, just that the fact that while Forrest wasn't exactly taking possession or, or dominating the match, they you could see the threat really early. I think Brendan Johnson, uh, you know, a, a really fast player, but not somebody that's a super reliable goal scorer, somewhat fortunately uh, for Chelsea, wasn't able to convert a good save from Kepa, but man easily gets behind our back line and for me particularly over on the right side obviously like I said we're you know we're lacking Reese James but but Koulibaly as well it just it felt to me early you could see that that Chelsea right side of their back uh, defense you know the left side attack for for uh, excuse me for Nottingham Forest was was gonna be a real problem for Chelsea in the match Yes, and one big thing about it is, interestingly enough, in the last match, 43% of our attack actually came on the right side, as opposed to 36 in this match, which really goes to show just how important Reese James is. And one thing I said was, I don't want us to be overly reliant on Reese James. But the more and more we step back, kind of look at it, it's unfortunate that that is the case. 45% of Nottingham Forest's attack came on the left side as well. And one other thing I said in that previous match, too, was, I still have some concerns about Koulibaly. And I texted you in this match. I'm like, well, he's he's struggling. He was struggling again. And I think Nottingham Forest definitely took advantage of that. I'm going to put a pin on Koulibaly because I want to talk about him a little bit more coming up. Um, yeah, that he, his performance definitely was stood out to me kind of all match. Fortunately for Chelsea, uh, it didn't take long to get a really big stroke of luck and that ended up you know Raheem Sterling with an excellent job on a ball that was put across the box and kind of a scorpion back flick 
from Willie Bowley and flicks over the goalie's head off the top of the crossbar. Everybody frozen to the spot, but Sterling the quickest to react with a you know a striking finish. Actually, pretty tough. I mean, it, it looks easy when the goal's gaping, but the reaction time he had, you know, didn't have a lot, and he he does put it away. And you know, it, it, at that point in time. It, I thought maybe like, you know, yeah, this is not going to be Chelsea's best performance, but maybe this is just kind of what you get when you go and play the team rock bottom of the table. They're not exactly having things go their way either. And it felt like that just really deflated the the crowd there. And, you know, at the at a, for a moment, it felt like, okay, not the greatest first 15 minutes, but we're right where we need to be. Yes. And I'm not going to lie. I kind of wish that Boltley would have scored that own goal because that would have been one of the most impressive own goals I had ever seen but the finish from Raheem Sterling was very nice and it did give me a little bit of positivity I'm like we have potential to build on a lead as we demonstrated in the previous match my bigger concern was if we start getting complacent and if we don't put away opportunities then who knows we've struggled to maintain leads as well so it would be important to get the next goal because that will probably determine whether or not we get all three points or not a consistent problem, I think, for Chelsea for a long time now has been when you do get the breakthrough, can you really crank the pressure on and, you know, turn that one goal lead into two and, and really kind of control the match? I think Chelsea, again, they, they maintained possession. They weren't, you know, at least for through the first 30 minutes or so. But, but again, you, you felt like they didn't kind of take the bull by the horns after scoring that first goal. And, you know, bit by bit, I thought that, you know, Nottingham Forest was kind of able to reestablish their belief in the game, get the crowd back behind them. And, you know, Julian, it wasn't until late in the first half that either side would really have another chance. Um, and and uh, even even that, uh, Pulisic, I just, you know, he kind of gets teed up in the box after, after an awkward play inside and actually ends up with a pretty good shot from about six yards out and just rolls it um, right at the feet of the keeper. And, you know, for me, I... I don't have a lot else to say about the first half. I thought it was kind of a tale of two halves. Unfortunately, the first one was bad, and the second one was even worse. Uh, What else say you about the first half? I'm building on last week's or last match's positive with Sicario because I noticed this like sturdiness, his strengths in the midfield really seemed to help the team again. And it continues to highlight the importance of having a efficient defensive midfielder there considering we don't have many at this club right now and continuing to see a player who is not necessarily the best defensive midfielder in the world perform an extremely important role he looks good by association just because of how desperately we need somebody to play that role it was really nice he provided some strength and solidity to that midfield that is long overdue now speaking of that on the other side of the ball one thing i had a very difficult time dealing with in that first half was Pulisic just doesn't seem like he can compete with the physicality in the Premier League. And this has been a little bit of an issue for the most part, but this was on full display today where Yates just seems to have Pulisic's number really want to deal with him. The physicality from Nottingham Forest really seems to bother Pulisic this entire match, and I feel like that's one of the reasons he might have put in a better performance. He just didn't look like he was having it. Yeah, and I know we've been desperate for a while now as, as you know, to find some fluidity in the team. And, and I think, you know, Pulisic is a guy that at times when you see flashes and see what he can provide, you, you, you know, you keep knowing that it's there. But it comes in such uh, sparse moments at this point that, that I just, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but I, I just don't see him as somebody that, that can be part of this. And after, you know, back-to-back starts, I just wonder, you know, uh, how much 
we'll see him. Although, again, I, we'll talk about probably some of the guys that came in uh, in the second half as well and, and maybe not having a big part of the Chelsea future either. Um, you know, Zakaria, you talked about, I, I find him an interesting component in this team. I, I certainly understand the idea of what they're asking him to accomplish and why, especially in a two-man midfield next to the much slighter, and we've talked about not particularly athletic Jorginho, you know, he has, there's a lot of value to have somebody there that can shield the back four, do some of the defensive work, and just provide a little bit of a spine in the midfield. You know, I think he's got some huge deficiencies in other areas, and the club knows that. Uh, But, you know, it's kind of like some of these other players where can the good outweigh the bad, and I think it's all, man, it's relative, I suppose, because it just seems like as a group, they don't, there doesn't seem to be a lot of cohesiveness, um, you know. But unfortunately for Chelsea, you know, the idea that getting together at halftime and, and kind of finding that, getting back on the front foot like they were to start the match just didn't happen at all. And I, I, Julie, man, I have a hard time remembering a half where Chelsea got outplayed as badly as they did in the second half, you know, barring some, some really, really top level opponents on a, on a similarly bad day for Chelsea. Um, man, what a rough, rough way to start, to start half number two, Julian. Well, unfortunately, I have too many memories in recent years of us being completely dominated by inferior teams. And this one didn't necessarily help because it just didn't, it looked like for whatever reason, we were kind of comfortable trying to hold on to a 1-0 lead. And I think maybe that shows a little bit of a lack of confidence in a lot of the team. But we also have gaping holes in this team as well. This isn't by any means a completed team. And it really was on full display today because nobody really looked overly impressive from top to bottom in the entirety of the team, actually. The thing that was also really frustrating to me is I didn't, you know, I thought that Nottingham Forest was pretty wasteful. I mean, you know, it's obviously a team that has really really struggled to score I mean we've talked about the huge you know chances that Chelsea's Chelsea have missed even after that match um but but Nottingham Forest the worst scoring team in the league and they man they could have had two three four goals in that second half Chelsea kind of able to hang on just by you know Brendan Johnson had a chance out on on the side rather than passing for a tap in across to Onye he takes a takes a shot that the the real big chance that obviously I thought Forrest deserved to score on was was when uh, they hit the bottom of the bar where Gibbs White got the ball from from Yates and just hammered it off the bottom of the crossbar kept a rooted to his spot comes off and at that point I gotta admit I thought like maybe this is just gonna be our day that you know we're, we're just gonna be fortunate to get out of here but we could never kind of turn one little half bit of momentum into anything positive. And eventually that chance comes in the 63rd minute and Julian, it's, it's Serge Aye. And as a former Spurs player, I, I just, for me added that little extra knife in the back um, because, you know, not a great goal scorer guy's had a lot of criticism in his career, but actually a really well taken goal there. And Chelsea inevitably finally gave up the goal. Yes, and do you remember what happened just a couple of moments before the goal? We made a big substitution, and I feel like that was actually kind of important to note right there. Yeah, it was Mateo Kovacic came on just about two minutes earlier for Zakaria, in fact. Now, I don't want to say that there's any sort of direct connection with that one, because I don't think there is. Uh, We will probably get a little bit into Kovacic later, but he had maybe one of his worst performances for Chelsea I've seen. And it could be that he's just played a lot of football recently. He made it pretty far in the World Cup. 
But I just went, I just thought that that showed the importance of Zakaria. I know that they were creating a couple of opportunities before that, but it was really poetic that the moment we took off our defensive midfielder, they went and scored just a couple of moments later. So that part was really frustrating, and I did not like the sub whatsoever. That being said, I also did not know that Serge Aurier actually played for Nottingham Forest. So when I saw him score the goal, I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the guy that's scoring against us. So none of this felt good. And I didn't necessarily see a way back at this point because that's kind of been the way we've been playing up to that point. And in previous matches, when things like this happen, it just doesn't look like we have the resolve to score again. Yeah, and, you know, a triple substitution was kind of the the way that Chelsea, I guess, went about trying to flip this momentum. I think, fortunately for them, a little bit, although the momentum was so firmly in Nottingham Forest's favor at that point, I do think that they had used so much energy and in this game getting back into it that you started to see that, that they just couldn't kind of take, um, you know, to really put the screws to Chelsea, and, and it started to peter out the momentum a little bit. And so Chelsea make a triple substitution in the set, or excuse me, I think it was a single technically and then a double, but Jorginho came on, uh, came off for Ziyech, Aubameyang came on, Gallagher comes on, Sterling and Mount come off, and you know, again, looking at this, it's just kind of, it shows where we're at right now, you know, Julian, it's some talented players coming onto the pitch, but you know, we've talked about Aubameyang, that did not exactly excite me that that we were going to get a goal from his introduction I think you know Gallagher I'd like to talk about a little bit more here at the end as well but is just a really unique player that is hard to get into kind of the rhythm of a team Um, and then Ziyech you know is probably just a week or two from playing somewhere else so just a a little bit of an odd time for him to come in although as he sometimes does he's the guy that almost creates the game winner for Chelsea and I think that's again that that's what we've talked about with Ziyech that it's hard to have him in your team match in and match out because he has a lot of deficiencies he also is a you know high usage guy and requires the ball to run through him a lot and he's gonna make a lot of crosses or ballot balls that just have no chance but he has got a magic foot and man it was almost funny to me that it was it was I had to give Pulisic a little more credit after watching the replay because I thought he just whiffed it but Aubameyang instead he's the one really that whiffs it and and combined um that that kind of summed up uh, our, our our chances at that point, Julian. I didn't think we had much chance after that. Yes, and one big component to this is we summed off Mason Mount because Mason Mount wasn't really playing to the expectation level that we've come to associate with him. And I am starting to believe that for as important as Reese James is, Mason Mount is, is equally important because when he's not playing to the best of his ability, the team seems to struggle. Mason Mount was pretty anonymous in this game, which is very unlike him. So, for as much praise as we like to keep on him, there are times where he doesn't necessarily perform to the level we're expecting of him. That's one player I need to highlight for negative reasons in this. And then the substitutions, it just seemed like to me the only reason we were able to take maybe a little bit more control of this game is because we're a better club. We have better players. So in theory, we should have more talent coming off the bench and we did and you know, you're going to have a drop off in quality that may not necessarily be there with forest to begin with so it's just purely because we had better players not because of any tactics or anything else like that even then it really didn't seem to make that much of a difference because there weren't a whole lot of opportunities created 
Yeah, and just for a second, I wanted to pause and go back to. For, I got to forgive you for not remembering that Serge Arie was on uh, this Nottingham Forest team because when you make like seventy-seven signings in one summer, it's a little bit hard to keep track. Because I didn't, I, I was, I got to say, there's several players on the team that were kind of like, oh yeah, I forgot that's where he is now. Um, I, you know, okay, let's get into it, Julian. I think some of the players, uh, Mason Mount, you brought up. I, I just kind of got a list here of guys that I thought had some really underwhelming performances, and he's not usually on that list, but was there for sure. Um, uh, you know, but but Koulibaly, I, I think, is the one at the top for me um, that, that scares me because I think I, he's an obviously he's a great guy. He's been a great player in his career. He's a good leader. But there seems to be a real obvious lack of athletic or and I don't know whether that's just because it's a league that's that's a little bit faster or whether it's just because of the point he is in his career. But it, it does seem to me like a guy who the things that his body's used to doing and the moves he's make used to making sort of from a mental perspective, a la Tiago Silva, who in the same match is just time and time and time again, almost a defensive highlight reel of making just reading the game. And still, even though he's lost, maybe a step athletically, he's still so quick mentally. He, he can, he's not at risk of not being there in time. Whereas Koulibaly, I feel the opposite about he's a full half step, step behind and you know, Julian, you've. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I know. I'm not saying anything new to you here because I think this is something that you've been telling me all. You know, basically since since he got here. Um, you know, uh, anything else you want to add about him or Mount? I'm pretty sure I mentioned this on one of the earlier podcasts, but I noticed that issue with Koulibaly very early in his Chelsea career because he was getting turned way too easily for a player that I expected to be. Rudiger-like in quality, I think that's what we all expected. But for me, it became a very apparent thing that he wasn't the same player that we thought we were getting. And I'm pretty sure I mentioned this before, but I actually spoke to a Napoli fan and I asked him, I said, hey, was he like this last season? Did it seem like he was maybe a little bit slow or maybe a little uh, slow at reacting? And he said, no, he's been good. He looks every bit as good as he's been. The only reason we're selling him is because the club's going through some transitions, but he should still be a good player. Because at that moment, I really scratched my head because I'm like, he's none of those things for us right now. And I don't think it's a confident thing. I just didn't think he has the ability. And it's become more apparent the more time he's spent at the club that it just doesn't seem like he has it all there, unfortunately. You're right. He seems like a very nice guy, but it looks like there's been a severe drop in quality between him and Rudiger, unfortunately. I don't have too much to say about Mason Mounts. It happens. He's had some up and down performances as well, but... This one, unfortunately, being one of his less impressive performances seems to have a big impact on this result. And, you know, Koulibaly, I think, talked about and and a kind of a similar conversation in my mind for for Aspilicueta, obviously a totally different longevity and what he means to the club and, and the club feelings about him. But you know, a guy who's always been limited a little bit and talked about on the back line for, for not being the tallest defender, but, you know, as he he's, I think, did he just pass uh, Petr Cech, I think, for like fifth all-time in Chelsea appearances? I, he's a guy that is not able to keep up. And and again, I know it's not fair to compare him to Reese James because, again, like that's the best option and potentially in the world there. But this, the, how much teams can just target us? And I'm not talking about like Manchester City teams. We're talking bottom of the table, Nottingham Forest teams that can just go target that side of the field and give us problems over and over 
And again, because we're talking about an age and athleticism and just like, hey, it's not it's not these guys fault that they're aging, but it is real. And it's so hard for me to imagine how that's going to kind of be turned around. I know Aspilicueta is not as much maybe as it is part of the minutes long term plan as Kula Bali, at least for another couple seasons. Um, but. But again, I, it's just this is a real scary thing for me um, with the two of them. The other person that, you know, I, getting into the substitutes a little, I, I wanted to talk about was Gallagher because I think, ooh man, I, I've seen some people saying, and I think they may be right, that, that Gallagher might be a guy that you want to cash in on sooner than later because while he obviously has some real talents, um, Man, he 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 he's not going to be able to fill a lot of roles, and and he's a really raw player as well. And I just don't know. There there was a lot of excitement about him after his time at Palace, and I and I don't know. Um, I don't know, Julian. Is he the kind of player that that you think Chelsea that it's a lack of getting enough opportunity at Chelsea? I mean, I just don't see him getting a lot more minutes at at other clubs sim, of similar stature like Chelsea. You and I have both been really high on him at the start of the season, and that hasn't necessarily waned because, to be fair, very few of our players have looked like what we were expecting them to look like this season. I mean, you can point to another player who didn't have the best performance in Kai Havertz, and it's always been a little frustrating as a Chelsea supporter that very much supports our youth movement and our youth players that a player like Kai Havertz, who I like a lot, actually, continues to get opportunities because of his price tag, whereas a player like Connor Gallagher, who doesn't have the same sort of price tag, doesn't get those same opportunities, unfortunately. That's not to say that they're necessarily the same sort of player, the same quality of player, but I, I don't necessarily think that his performances are a, a huge issue or we should just automatically sell him because he hasn't been playing the way we expected. Nobody on the team has been playing the way we've expected, unfortunately, and it's just going to be figuring out how to fix this team because we said going into the season, this team isn't complete. We don't have the right players in the right positions, and it's getting the most important roles filled that we will see the rest of the team start to perform. So I don't want to hold anything against Gallagher, and even for that same reason, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of holding too much against Havertz or Mason Mount or Slightly to an extent, Christian Pulisic, I have some issues with him. I don't think he's uh, fit for the league. Like, I don't think it's right for him. But the other players, it, it's a little difficult to be too critical and too harsh on them when I don't think that they're in the right system for they, them to play their best. I cannot agree with you about that part more, and it's a good transition into the part of the conversation I wanted to have because I think part of, as I go through this list, looking at the players – I, time, person after person after person, I can sit here and go, Are they, is that even the position that they're best suited to play in? And, and, you know, take Kai Havertz. I think, like, he can do a serviceable job as a nine. He's been playing there consistently, no doubt. But when we signed him, that was not really what we expected his role to be. It's also not really the role he plays with the national team. He plays, you know, off a number nine. I, so, okay, Mason Mount, a guy who we've talked about with lots of flexibility. Uh, we've seen him play out wide a lot. He's also played in the eight. Uh, I mean, he's he's played even deeper in midfield occasionally. He's obviously incredibly talented, but, but he's where, – where's his best spot and where are we giving him that spot to play time and time again – you know, the same thing could be said for others. And again, we've talked, I think, about the issues of where we've ended up here because we've sort of, you know, built a little bit of the way with a bunch of different managers and never really built anywhere continuously meaningful. So we sort of have this hodgepodge roster. But 
Yeah, I think that that part of it is when I look at these individuals, I, I think there's so much of it a case to made in these make in these inconsistent performances that like, yeah, well, there's not a lot of consistency in formation or in guys playing in the same positions all the time or, um, you know, some of it's out of the control of playing with guys that aren't healthy. But but when I look at that and try to answer that and say, okay, so then how do we create some more of that solidity? It, it's harder for me then to come up with the answers uh, because I, again, I, I see why this is a problem and I don't have great answers. I think the hardest part to swallow is even in the short term, I mean, we have just spent gobs and gobs and gobs of money on this roster. And so looking as at it, is, at it the way it is, I, it's just hard to swallow that, you know, in the same way you said we could kind of end up pulling out this draw just by the mere fact our talent level's just higher. It's, with the talent level on this team, it's really hard for me to not see that we can't find a little bit more consistency and we look so bad so often. At the same time, I can also kind of understand it. And and so I'm, I'm pulled, um, you know, so where are you on that, on kind of that conversation in, is this something that we need to mostly invest in, in still refreshing of players to fit a system? Or do we even have a system that we're trying to, to get players for? I have to go back to the start of the season. And one thing I said in the season preview that I felt maybe I got a little bit of criticism for was I felt this was one of the worst transfer windows we had ever had because we didn't correct the needs that we actually needed to fix. There was only one signing I was extremely happy about, and that was Fafana. And unfortunately, he's injured, so we don't even get to see him perform. But I was very critical of almost all of the other signings we made. And I said that this was going to be one of the worst transfer windows if we went and signed Obama Yang, who felt like he was past his best. And here we are, and he's getting scraps per minutes, not really performing in those scraps he's getting. Meanwhile, we have uh, Kukurea, who, yeah, if, since Ben Chilwell's been having issues, I guess we need him. But at the same time, it felt like a position that we didn't necessarily need to prioritize. I was very critical of the Koulibaly signing. I said, this feels like a little bit of a downgrade from a player that was very good. Why are we spending a lot of money and letting another player go for free? That seems like very poor business. And it's turned out to be even worse business than I was expecting. We didn't fix anything in the midfield, which I was prioritizing. And I was saying nonstop all summer that we needed to fix first and foremost. And it just felt like we continued to focus on all the wrong positions. And this is what happens when you do that. This team isn't right. We spent so much money and we're worse than we were last year. And a lot of people were saying the same thing to me. There's no way this team is worse. We spent the money well. We got a lot of new signings. How can we be worse? But it's pretty obvious that this team is actually worse than what we had last season. Well, I think so, and there's certainly not going to be an argument, it seems like, from a point standpoint, because we're not, you know, I won't say that, that top four is a complete pipe dream, because, man, some of the other teams are, are not, this isn't the strongest season from the top candidates I've ever seen, but it's still hard to believe even so that Chelsea's really going to come to, you know, any any real vein of form where they can crack themselves into that conversation in a meaningful way. And so to that part about this, I, you know, I, obviously we've talked a lot about, you know, there's already a lot of people who are, are putting major, who are very frustrated and putting a lot of pressure on, on Potter. I'll, I'll skip a little past that. Cause I think we've, we've recognized and at least so far there, it's, it was just not the immediacy of the conversation of success for the manager that there has been in the past. But I don't, you know, where, where I wonder is like, man, okay, there is an actual little bit of a financial component to this, although, you know, FFP has been proven to be largely 
you know, uh, ineffective to say the least, that we're spending all this money and, and, you know, we've got to have some revenue coming in too. And, you know, it's no surprise that not being in the Champions League, there's a reason that it's always dictated what teams are going to do. Um, so regardless of like if Todd Bowley's willing to just keep writing checks, there is sort of a, a balance of financial fair play in this at some point. I, that's to me where I guess I have a little bit of a hard understanding of are, are, are they okay with us just like really not competing at all for the Champions League and then and then kind of just saying like, yeah, come what may with any financial uh, restrictions? Because it doesn't seem like the slowings, uh, the spending slowing down. Uh, We'll talk about it a little bit more in the coming days, but Chelsea already, uh, as we're at the very beginning of January, looked to be spending several hundred million dollars in January to add to that summer spending, Julian. Um, So that's where, how do you stay infinitely patient or even kind of short to midterm patient when you're spending that much money. So I have to be both critical as well as defend Potter. And I'm going to do both right here because it's not his team. He didn't sign a single one of these players for this team. And he hasn't had any, he's been unfortunate to have a lot of injured players. I don't make that as an excuse for any manager, but unfortunately this wasn't his blueprint. This wasn't the team he designed. So he inherited a team that had so many deficiencies and that's why Tuchel was sacked wasn't because he was a bad manager. I went on here and said that I don't think he's a bad manager. I just didn't think that he was filling out the right parts of the team. He didn't fill the right parts. If he had as much influence as it sounded like he had, but looking back, it's kind of tricky to really sit through what is true and what is false because you hear rumors about what happened with Kukurea, and it gets weirder and weirder, like Todd Bowley just paying all of the money up front after a dinner, and you're like, how much of this is true? And if this is true, then it sounds like people are just taking advantage of a guy that doesn't really know better. And for that reason, obviously we have to give Bowley at least some time to maybe make one or two signings, fix one or two things in the team when there are a lot of issues that he can fix. So I believe that that can happen, but at the same time, Potter has vastly been underperforming. It looks like he's just setting the team up for victory at this point. So obviously you have to be patient. And as somebody that wants to continuously support Potter, and I'm not saying that I have any issues with him currently, I'm defending him here. He hasn't performed. And that has to be stated as well. I'm not sure what the plan for the team is going forward. It does sound like there's going to be a lot more money spent, but it sounds like maybe Todd Bowley learned some lessons from the first transfer window. And I'm really hoping that we're going to correct a lot of the issues we made the first time around. I'm starting to wonder a little bit if the uh, the we have to suffer, uh, you know, meme almost from the Antonio Conte has been replaced from the we have to stay humble from the Graham Potter era because I'm starting to see that that a lot, which I find is is kind of funny. I, you know, I think um, it was interesting right before we came on here, Julian. I just happened to see see a, something on Twitter a video where uh, uh, Guardiola was talking um, uh, about just being given time and managers needing to be given time. And specifically they got, got talking, I think he's talking to Rio Ferdinand. They were, they started talking about um, Arteta and saying, Hey, that's a, that's, that's a great example. There you go. It's a guy that I remember when everybody, the first six months was saying, you know, Arteta out, it's gotta be sacked, doesn't know what he's doing. And you know, everybody now it's real easy to sit there and say like, Hey, that's the arsenal's got it all figured out. Um, but, but there's, there's that, that is, there's something to that for me in a, in at least the part of saying, okay, 
What I did see Arteta do that I think Chelsea does need to do is commit to this, um, and we can sit here and ask ourselves, how much is Todd Bowley going to be committed to this? How committed are people going to be to Graham Potter? How committed? For me, what I would like to, the answerable that I would like to see on the pitch that shows me some commitment is like, hey, there's a bunch of guys on this roster that we know that aren't going to be here very long and effectively are dead wood. And if we really are, for the first time, going to allow a manager to maybe not have his job under pressure uh, week by week, then that's the first time a manager, almost a little bit like Lampard had, we talked about having a free hit being brought in and not, you know, uh, having a season almost with the transfer ban to, to not have to have too much pressure. You could commit to ideas in a way that other managers seemingly didn't feel that they had the support to do. And so for me, like Carney Chukwameka is coming onto the pitch at the 87th minute of this match and Ziyech is coming on. 15, 20 minutes before him. Now, I understand that Ziyech can bring things Carney can't, but the idea that we're giving Aubameyang minutes and Ziyech minutes in these matches, that's like, okay, we suck anyway, and you're telling me that we, you know, or, or not you, but we're saying that this manager we're committed to, so let's see some commitment to something different instead of trying to just, like, throw random talent on the field that isn't even any kind of real con- doesn't have continuity anyway at a hope of preserving a draw against Nottingham Forest I just to me that doesn't like we're having these conversations that are supposed to be focused more long term and then the, watching the actual matches and some of the decisions on the pitch seem very short-sighted to me well that's what the signings were and that's why I was overly critical of the signings because it were basically players that were meant to win now. And I didn't think we were ready to win now. And that's been pretty obvious that we aren't. It seemed like we were trying to extend some players that may have been past their best as well. So the entire philosophy for this team was really negative. It wasn't going in the right direction. That's why the Fafana signing was a really nice signing. It was thinking towards the future of a player that can play now and was going to improve from this point going forward. But none of the other signings, even Sterling, who I like the player, I've always liked Raheem Sterling, he was not going to improve from where he was at that point. We've probably seen the best of Raheem Sterling already, and he was a player brought in to win now. And that seems to be the issues with the transfer window we had originally, is we just keep signing players that are meant to win now, and we do have to start building towards the future. And it's very one thing I have to say about investing in a manager and the way we invested in our on correction, the way Arsenal invested in Arteta, is you have to see signs that there is a future. And right now, we don't have any signs that any signs whatsoever that Potter is the right solution. But basically, we have to continue on blind faith because nothing he's really done has indicated that he will be a long-term successful manager. And that's not necessarily a criticism. I feel like that's more of an objective observation. I still think that obviously we need to give him a fair bit more time before we even become overly critical of him. But at some point, he does need to demonstrate that he is building towards something and we do have a promising future with him. So in whatever form or context that comes in, it's something we have to be patient for. But we have to be absolutely certain one way or another before we make a big decision whether or not he is the long-term manager or whether or not he just doesn't really have the solutions for this team. And it's funny to sit here and kind of, you know, be defining the just exactly why, in my opinion, at least why Roman Abramovich was never going to take that calculation, you know, that he was never willing or or didn't have the desire to, frankly, 
close your eyes and wait and open your eyes and see where you're at and just be willing to commit to it even when things are really rough. And I think, you know, there's, I agree completely. It's what we need to do. But even as I'm saying it, I, there's real trepidation because I'm kind of sitting here saying like, at least so far, yeah, I'm not really seeing a lot of signs of, of moving that positive direction, but rightly so it's still, it is, it is still too early. I think, you know, the other part that, it is always a challenge, especially as we're talking about squad imbalance, is simultaneously talking about spending all this money and not spending it well, and then sitting here being like, oh, sweet, like we're about to go maybe get Enzo Fernandez and, and Nkunku's coming in next summer. And, you know, Chelsea at, at least seemed to be targeting a profile of player, um, unlike some of the names we mentioned here, Aubameyang, and maybe even, uh, you know, Sterling, although he's younger, just because of where he's coming from. Players who are not at the peak of their game, players who are, you know, ha- have certain qualities of, of ath- athleticism that can meet the challenges of a Premier League while also still being, um, you know, like you said, like Fofana, like a player who can compete now but also is this is not the this is not the ceiling um you know but even as I look at the bench that Chelsea had the other day you know uh you know Trevor Chaloba's there I I know I don't know man he could get a lot more minutes Lewis Halls looked actually pretty lively when he's been in we've heard so many good things even from Graham Potter about Amari Hutchinson again I'm not expecting us to suddenly pull out you know like a complete squad rotation and play all people, you know, all kids under 25. But I, I just think like we've, we have some real, real talent here that we could be taking a look at um, in, in, and if we're not, if, if the matches themselves, if, if we're not going to get to where we're trying to get at the end of the season, I just think there's some real benefit to be taking individual looks at some of these players and just giving, frankly, giving them experience and continued minutes. I think it's so difficult Um even for these big-time players to not get consistent minutes at the same position. But, man, for a young player trying to break through, again, you, you, you it's just there are so few rare players, maybe the Reese James, that are, that's able to just really lock down that kind of position at a young age. But, um, yeah, it's so hard, so hard to do. And we've seen so many other young Chelsea players leave because of kind of that lack of lack of opportunity. Um, you know, Julian, I think the things that's a little scary, I suppose, at least from a match perspective for Chelsea if you can't handle Nottingham Forest it's certainly not getting any easier for from here because we've got Manchester City now twice in the next week first on uh, Thursday January 5th in the in the league and then again uh, in in um, the FA Cup uh, just the following Saturday I'm not sure how how focused either of those teams will be on that FA Cup match um, or the league I'm actually kind of interested to see you know if, if either are prioritized so to speak but I'm guessing, like me, you can't have too much optimism coming into a doubleheader with City. Well, it's extremely unfortunate that we didn't get those results because I was thinking about it the entirety of the match. We have Manchester City coming up. We have them back-to-back. If we don't have any confidence or any result going into that, then it's not going to bode well for not just those matches, but the season going forward. We really need to pick up something significant here, and we didn't. So I think that makes that result all the more deflating. <laughs> not a whole lot of optimism, but who knows? Uh, every so often, Chelsea outperforms their form. So maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe we'll see inspired form from some of our players. Well, looking at the table today, um, kind of the, the the West London clubs all sit right together, and Chelsea smack dab at the bottom of those three teams. Brentford in seventh, Fulham in eighth, us in ninth. However, we have two matches in hand on Brentford, 
and one on Fulham, but I already am, make, am, am making fun of myself here for pointing out, oh, hey, we have matches in hand against Fulham. Like, oh, wow, congratulations. Um, but that's who Chelsea has after the City doubleheader. So in some ways, you know, looking at the schedule, think, okay, Fulham, that's a match we can handle. Like, that is not going to be an easy one either. But, uh, you know, the way we're playing, we're probably not going to have any any easy, easy ones like that. Um, you know, Julian, I think... We'll talk a little bit more in depth about some of these transfers, but, you know, just real quick, going to fire a couple names at you. You know, Enzo Fernandez, the big one. We haven't seen club statements, but it really does seem here, even within the last few hours prior to recording, that that is pretty much going to happen here in January. Uh, Benoit Badiashil, who is coming from from Monaco as a, as a center back. Uh, David Datro Fofana. Uh, is also coming. It seems like he's probably not gonna stick around. Maybe go out, go out on loan. And then Andre Santos from from Brazil, also young player, really, really highly talented. But but you know, I, I think it's a, obviously Enzo somebody to get excited about right away. But you know, I think I think the one thing I want to point out maybe to fans is like it's always exciting transfer window time. That like, oh man, we're gonna fix all these problems we have. Uh, what we just watched yesterday was not a player or two away from suddenly magically being, you know, so fixed. Um, and given the context of all this money being spent, I, you know, is Chelsea doing the right thing here to try to keep spending money in January to resolve some of these issues? Or are we just continuing to throw good money after bad? It could potentially stop the bleeding. You never know. Sometimes you sign a player in January that turns out to be a lot better than expected. The first player that definitely comes to mind is Ronnie Salavanovich, who didn't even play very much in the first season after we did sign him, but eventually turned out to be a little bit of a cult legend. So it happens every so often. You do strike a cult on one of these players, and it's not to say that it wouldn't help right now. Um, we have so many things to fix that the sooner we start fixing them, the better. Some of this money seems like it might be better spent, but it seems like a couple of these players are promising. I don't know enough about them to say one way or another that they will be a huge help to the team going forward. But it sounds, in theory, on paper, as of right now, promising. It sounds like we might start looking in the right direction as opposed to just a lot more attacking players, which it continuously feels like we're interested in. Well, Julian, I spent you know I spent a lot of time kind of going through some of the some of the tough individual performances, but I, so I think it's only fair maybe to end the podcast on, on this, um, man of the match. Who'd you, who'd you have for today? Well, I actually, I'm really happy. I get to give this player my man of the match, even if it was in one of the uh, worst performances we had, but I'm going to give it to, uh, Mark Kukurea. He had a very high passing percentage. I think he benefited from the fact that the majority of the attack came on his opposite side, but he also had a number of tackles, a number of clearances. So I think this was one of his better performances. Unfortunate for him, it came in a match where we played so poorly, but I was very happy to give him that opportunity to be my man of the match. I really liked it. I thought he had a really excellent match as well. And I got to say, in some of just the general discussions following the match, he didn't see his name get brought up as much, which I just thought he was overlooked. I thought he had a great match. Um, I'm going to stick with Thiago Silva. I talked about it a little bit earlier. I think particularly maybe just the contrast being next to Koulibaly and some of what he struggled with. You know, Thiago Silva's, it's funny, I remember when you talked about, you know, early in this podcast, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of really bad halves and matches over the years. Immediately one that always springs to mind is fallen three, three nil down in the first half to West Brom. I think it was Tiago Silva's debut. And I think it included him basically passing it to a break in a breakaway. Um, uh, and, and it just being like three nil down to West Brom, who I think got relegated that season as well. 
so it's kind of funny here to now just think about how much he's adapted to the Premier League, how comfortable he is. Obviously, a world class defender, but just a guy, man. It, it in some ways, while while I'm recognizing we need to kind of move on to a new era, it's also I'm kind of waiting every day to see if he's going to sign another one year extension because. Man, he is a player that that I trust so much in Chelsea, and there are not very many of those I can say about. So, Julian, um, you know, thanks thanks again for your time, sir. Anything else you want to add here before we depart? No, I'm good. Um, every so often there are gray and cloudy skies, but it's just a matter of time. I mean, it's Chelsea, so before you know it, we're in the Champions League final or something. So keep some faith, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and if you guys, anybody needs to pick me up out there, just go Google a few uh, Enzo Hernandez or Fernandez highlights and uh, and just uh, cross your fingers that that's going to be official here soon. So, thanks again, Chelsea fans. Until we uh, uh, join you again, this has been another episode. We ain't got no podcast.